Wait a minute, Lily. I've just got to get the door. My my Ocado delivery is here. Wait, what? We're about to do an interview, Randy. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's strangely topical because we're interviewing Hannah Gibson, the chief product officer at Ocado today. And I forgot, I've actually already bought my apples and donuts. Okay. What, are you trying to be Ken Norton? He's the one who brings the donuts. No, I'm just hungry. But back to the subject at hand. What are we talking to Hannah about today? We're talking to Hannah about how you launch a brand new product from within a big organization, the challenges and how to be successful. And we discuss whether in this scenario, you truly are the CEO of the product. The product experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really great to have you here. Um, So before we get started with our topic, it'd be great if you could give us a real quick intro into who you are and your background in product, like where you got started, because it's always nice to hear an origin story. (laughs) Um, And then also uh, what you're doing today. Yeah, it's it's great to be here. So um, I'm Chief Product Officer at Ocado Technology. Uh, Many people in the UK anyway probably know about Ocado as a grocery company. Um, We're actually not just a grocery company, but we are a technology company and we sell our platform to grocers worldwide. And um, I've been at Ocado for about 10 years. But uh, if you think about origin, I guess um, I started my life out uh, like many product people, I think, in consultancy. Uh, So a bit of time in consulting, did a couple of other things and then joined Ocado, actually in the retail side thinking more about online trading, but very quickly uh, moved into product. And I've been there for really kind of almost the last 10 years. But I think it's changed a lot along the way. Obviously, 10 years sounds like a long time. Some people have one place, but it hasn't really felt like one gig or one job. You know, we've changed from being UK only to global. We've changed from being B2C to B2B. We've changed from doing software to hardware as well. So, you know, the change has been huge and been really fun kind of product journey uh, along the way. And one of the things that you've done at Ocado is launch new products. So tell us about what's that been like launching a new product inside a much bigger org. What what was the product and kind of what were the main challenges that you had? Yeah, I thought I'd maybe reflecting on this, thinking about not even just a new product, but a new service. So really thinking about like a big product launch, right? We launch new products all the time, like new features, new iterations, new parts of the platform. But actually, uh, we did launch a new product, which was called Ocado Zoom, where we launched, you know, really short lead time grocery orders to get your groceries delivered quickly um, to customers. And that was quite a big shift, right? And quite a different way of thinking about how we do online grocery. And I think when you're trying to do something quite different and launch something quite new within a big organization, you've got to think quite differently about how you're going to go about that. And as you know, as, as you say in your question, Billy, what are the challenges you might face? And certainly 
when we were approaching this and we were thinking about it, for me, there were, there were a couple of things that I think really stood out. One of them was like, how do you help people think differently in terms of mindset about what the challenges you're, you're, you're thinking about? And in product, it's always about hypotheses, right? You've got to figure out what your hypotheses are. You've got to try and test them. And then you've got to go from there. And what's really interesting when you're launching something completely new, right, not just an iteration, is you've got to really sell the vision of where you think it might go. And I think um, sometimes in product, people shy away a little bit, I think, from selling the vision, selling where you can get to. And actually, I think it's okay to say, this is where we think the product could go. It's going to change. I'm going to be wrong on some of the aspects. But actually, when you're trying to do something new in a large organization, or even when you're trying to do something new in a startup, being very clear about what the art possible could be, I think is really important. So there's something there for me about mindset. And then maybe the other bit is around prioritization. How do you think about how you can prioritize, how you can structure? But we can get into that if, if you're interested in that more. So Ocado has evolved a huge amount in yeah. the last 10 years. You went from launching things that were, you know, as you said, you were a B2C, you were launching the service in the first place, and then you pivoted along the way and did lots of other things. Is launching a new product or service within the company the same now as it was when you were startup scale-up mode, or is it totally different now that you've got global enterprise customers? Yeah, it's a, re it's a really good question. And of course, it's different. Um, I still think underlying it, it's the same kind of attitude of like, let's learn and let's understand and let's try and build products that we you know, believe people love, as we often say on my product. But actually, uh, absolutely, when you've got a B2B you know, customer base, actually, you've got to think a lot harder about what are the things you can do to enable it to scale from the outset that you might not have done otherwise. You've got to think more clearly about how it's going to meet different needs of different customers in different locations across the globe. And you've got to think probably a bit harder about, you know, the prioritization because actually there's multiple par partners at play and multiple people who could get benefit from what you're building. So I think it, it adds a lot of complexity overall how you approach it. But as ever with product management, I don't know if you guys find this, but I do think the general themes are the same. It's just how you apply them can change. And you can put different focus on different parts of that uh, of that product launch. You know, like, have you got hypothesis? Yes, but, you know, how hard you think about it and how much you test that might be different depending on the scale of the change and the scale of the impact it's going to have across your customer base. So, yeah, I think the same things remain true, but um, just you, you um, implement them in slightly different ways. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit. I'm curious, what are the different kind of things? What's one of the challenges that uh, came up of uh, doing it a different way as you evolved? You know, whether it was with working with internal stakeholders who now maybe had uh, a, a business that they wanted to protect or going from doing A-B tests with customers to doing, uh, you can't really do that with enterprise quite the same way. Well, you, you, you can in a way, right? So you still want to A-B test and we have A-B tests now with our partners. And so We'll choose one of those partners to start doing the A-B test with so that we can learn and grow with them and roll that out then to the other partners. So you still can do that. Um, I think, you know, when you think about those much larger scale experiments, that Zoom example we talked about before, I think that, you know, that requires a lot more uh, taking everyone on the journey of where you're going, helping them explain and understand the why, help them understand what the potential might be. But in a way, I think it's, you know, that that's just about the kind of the process that you've in place and how much energy you put into different parts um, of, of the process, really. And you mentioned that it's really important when you're launching a new product inside a bigger org to sell the vision. Hmm. How, how did you go about 
creating your vision for Ocado Zoom and selling that internally? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So I always came back to two things, which I think in products always really matter. The first is what's the customer experience? And the second is kind of what's the uh what's the PL impact? So what's what's this gonna look like from from the longer term perspective from a profitability point of view? And on the customer experience side, uh, we went and did a bunch of, as you normally do, you know, customer interviews and understood what, how customers were shopping today, what they were using, the different purchases for, what their different habits were. So we did diary studies, we did interviews, all the rest of it. We looked at some data as well, uh, which gave us an idea, but couldn't tell us exactly what they might do in the future. And with that, we created, you know, as you, as you, as you often do, a set of personas, which we could then go and talk to many people around the business and kind of had quite a strong sense of that as exactly what the priority kind of segment was to go after. And then on the operational side, I was crystal clear on like, okay, this is what we want the end game PL to look like. This is kind of what we've got to believe to get there. And um, I think that was very helpful for people to be able to see the clarity around this is where the customers were heading. And then also this was from a operational point of view, what we've got to achieve to get there. Now, doesn't mean you've got to get there on day one, but it means when people start to understand what we're going to build and what order we're going to do it, you're giving more context and you're allowing people to make those trade-offs themselves allow them to prioritise um, the right things. And I think that that helped a lot. And um, I find that really interesting because one of the things I think that's different about launching a product inside a bigger org versus working for a startup as a product person is the potential ownership of the the kind of the PL for that product launch. Mm. Um, and this is where, you know, that kind of classic thing of the CEO of the product sure. um, could actually be slightly more accurate. So I'm interested to know, like it, it, within that product launch that you were doing, and kind of the PL that you put together, like how did you go about that part? Was that you with the finance team or were you kind of left to your own devices and you had to come up with something that worked? Or yeah. like good question, good question. I think um uh definitely I thought a lot about what was the right structure and what's the right organizational kind of model that we wanted to make this work really well. And I always thought about it as who do you want dedicated? to the, the the kind of the you know the, the product launch and who do you want to kind of lean on who who actually is best to still sit within their organizational uh, current departments but you kind of want to bring into the into the virtual club of that of that product launch and so we had those who were dedicated to 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 the products which was you know the tech tech, tech teams for example and that was in part because we didn't want there to be clashes around prioritization of that it made a lot of sense for them to be fully focused on this and there's other areas where it actually you need kind of some some quite specific expertise, and but you might not need it full time. So for finance, for example, yeah, uh, you know we'd second someone over who'd support on the team. Marketing, for example, actually, you know we utilised the main marketing team that had a lot of knowledge, but we had someone within my business unit who was focused on marketing just for that product. Um, so we did this kind of blurring of who did what, who sat within which part of the organisation, but most importantly. I thought about us all as one big virtual team and definitely as always you know the, the sum of the parts you should be able to make greater than the whole by making sure that everyone's really focused on what we could achieve and the, the excitement of it all but I think you're right there Lily in the sense that the fact that I owned the broader P&L meant that we could actually really all focus on the right trade-offs and where we were going to you know think about the overall prioritization 
I think everybody, even even they weren't, you know, fully full time on the business on this, were excited about being part of it. Um, if anything, I probably had more people who wanted to be part of it than, than less. So that's why to have, I guess. So that's an interesting one. I find there's a huge difference in the product managers I've met who have a consulting background versus the ones who don't and the way that they can build relationships around P&L and understand the, the, the difference between, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is the theory of where we want to go versus the people who have been more operational in the past or have spent more time on that side and, and, and know the reality. I'm curious, the, the people on your team who mm-hmm. haven't come from a consulting background, how do you how do you train them up? How do you uh, get them into the realities of this and get them to be able to have those uh, those really deep relationships with people on the other side? Yeah, it's actually it's a great question, Randy, because we're, we're rolling out some kind of commercial training at the moment to help people understand both our partners' business models, our business model, kind of the sensitivities. I always talk a lot, actually, about kind of sensitivity analysis, I think is a great thing to do as a product manager, figuring out what if, like, what if this was a bit higher? What if this was a bit lower? Because the reality as product is we actually know not very much about what's going to happen, right? And so all you can do is prepare for the different eventualities of what might happen and understand some the kind of the importance of that. So, yeah, we, we are rolling out, a you know, a commercial training, but I will say try and make sure that we are spending a lot of time with, you know, various parts of the business. And we, I think using the right metrics makes a big difference as well. So I think as ever, if you can get the right metrics and help people tie back their metric to that line of the PL, I think that makes a huge difference and everyone can see what part they're playing. I also think it helps people work across different streams, different boundaries, because ultimately you've got this kind of, you know, gu- guiding light, guiding metric that you can all go back to. So, um, yeah, I think it's a super important conversation to have. But equally, I do think as ever, a mix of product skill sets is super important. I've got a slightly more commercial background, but I haven't spent night shifts in a warehouse, you know, at various points in time. Some of my team have, and they bring an awful lot to the table because they've done that. So as ever with product, you, you want a blend of different skill sets, different um, different competencies that you can bring to the table. So I, I worked at Amazon years ago. I did do the night shifts. Uh, they they took us in the actually as an editor at the time, and they took us and threw us on the night shifts at Christmas time. So I know exactly what you're talking. Did about. You, did you love it? Um, <laughs> it was interesting. I learned a ton. It was you know, it was something I was glad to be doing for a week, and that was it, kind of thing, rather than rather than as a full time job. But um, I'm curious. One of the the other barriers I've seen is is cultural, and it's just terminology at times. So product people like to say things like we're going to fail fast and iterate and and get better. And uh, too many times the operational people I've worked with have heard that and just heard the word fail. They didn't hear the intent behind it, which is we're going to learn fast, not commit resources. We're not going to do a six-month waterfall project when we can do a one-week experiment kind of thing. But you know, it's two two nations or two parts of the business separated by a by a common language sometimes. Uh, and I'm just curious if that's something you've seen, or if there's a uh, how you train people to build the better relationship by speaking the right language too. Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think actually because we've been, um, I'd frame it as almost like learning together across both, let's say, the operations and um, a kind of technology for, for some time. That actually, you know, we do work very closely with. The operations team and I think they understand pretty well how we learn and, and we've got to where we have because we have 
um, you know, tried things, run hard at things. We've always tried and think differently about how we can solve problems. I think that's ingrained in the culture generally. Um, so I think I feel pretty lucky from that perspective. Having said that, there is always a lovely, healthy tension that, that will exist. And I think for the right reasons, what we try and do is talk about, you know, what the trade-offs are and help people on that journey and help people understand what the different options can be. Um, I haven't found any specific challenges with language, actually, I'm afraid to say, Randy. Um, I, I don't think we've come across that as a particular particular issue. But again, maybe I'm just lucky from, from where we're at and we've all been on that journey together. And I think that makes it a bit, a bit easier. Well, you're just better at it than I am, which is fine. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so with any sort of product launch or startup business, you're kind of you're aiming to have an MVP to start with. And sometimes this can be slightly controversial mm. as to what your MVP is. So how did you get to a decision around what to launch with, with the first piece? And did you, because I imagine if you're launching a new product in quite a big business, which is you've kind of already said, everyone was super excited to get involved. It's probably more a case of like holding people at the door and trying to do things in secret as much as possible. That's what I would do anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I guess the MVP question is is always a great one, right? And um, I always think about this as um, tr- trying to break it down a little bit. And again, just going back to being really clear about what you're trying to achieve. And for us in the grocery business, what's really important is customer retention. It's it's a bit more like a subscription model, I guess, than a transactional model. And when you're launching a service, you need people to want to come back to it again and again. Like, you know, grocery shopping can be weekly, if not more frequent. And so for me, it was all about, again, as ever, good product management, about prioritization. And so being really clear about, okay, what's going to matter? And for me, it was around that customer experience. I used to, I call this phrase called kind of perfect execution, right? Whatever happened, it had to, to the customer, seem perfect. It seemed like whatever we promised, we were going to deliver that perfectly. And that went everything from how we built the product to how we thought about our marketing. So if we didn't deliver you a, 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 you know, a product within the first few weeks, we gave a pretty generous, like, um, you know, refund for that because we knew it mattered so much to customers. But behind the scenes, we were definitely, you know, less optimal in terms of process or optimization of the processes, which for Akale was something that we spend so many years optimizing to suddenly launch something which wasn't there was obviously quite a different thing. Now, we had a path to get there. We knew that what it looked like, but we were okay on day one doing something different. And so, yeah, with MVP, it was definitely about thinking about what really, really mattered. We also, within that kind of you know, perfect execution, I definitely descoped a couple of things so we could be perfect at the things we kind of told our customers we were going to be great at, if that made sense. So try not to overextend that experience. And again, that just goes back to understanding what you what you think really is going to matter and then focus on that. So when you do that, you're going to have an effect on those P&L projections that we talked about earlier. How do you sell that? How do you create the environment to, so that everyone else can just keep on doing the work uh, rather than it becoming, you know, uh, a pile on environment? Um, yeah, it's, it's a great question. I, I think because I think there's two things to that I always I always consider in, in, in general. One is making sure everyone's got a view of what the path is to get there, 
Um, we've started, you know, over the last couple of years doing more what we call like outcome-based roadmaps. So actually, what, what does the path look like to get to the, the you know, the number you want? And I think the more you can share that with, you know, stakeholders or finance, however it needs to be, that helps an awful lot. So, yep, we know we're not going to operate that today, but this is where we're going to get to. And then secondly, going back to that point I mentioned earlier around the kind of sensitivity analysis, because ultimately, you know, we know we're not going to be right on everything. Actually, interesting, when we launched, some of the numbers were a lot better than even I had predicted. And I think I'm a pretty optimistic person. So that was great because actually, you know, some of those challenges weren't there that I thought were going to be there. Uh, but don't, don't get me wrong, other ones were, right? Um, but, but that's okay. And I think if you can show people that, um, you know, depending on a couple of different scenarios, these are the options we've got to plug those holes or to make it better or to whatever, then I, I think that helps. I also think you kind of got to come back to a, we are doing this to experiment. We're doing this to test. We're doing this to learn. And I spent a lot of time getting everyone very excited about all the stuff we were going to learn once we were live. And I think if you get people excited about that, then you can help them on the journey too. So they say if you launch a product and you're not slightly embarrassed, then you've launched it too late. Um, but it sounds like you were kind of like really careful about making sure that it was a really excellent customer experience. So do you think that you launch, could have launched it earlier? <laughs> um, good question. We actually didn't have, um, I'm going to get out of this one quickly. Answer, but there weren't that many options because of um, this, when you're building physical infrastructure, actually there are some timeframes around that that you can't necessarily uh, change that much. Having said that, we could have gone live with something very, very manual um, uh, a lot earlier. And the problem is if we'd done that, we wouldn't have really tested one of the core hypotheses, which is people want to have a large range of products to choose from. It's not just about speed, it's about choice as well. And I think, again, you've got to be very clear what you're testing and what you believe you're kind of you, you're, you're aiming to trial. And so, yeah, it's a good question whether we should we have gone earlier <laughs> with something different. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I would say I was embarrassed about things. Um, I'm an optimist, <laughs> I think, as I say. I think there were many things I'd look at and say, well, I want to do that better. Um, I went around our, our second version of this site the other day, which has got a new, improved, shiny version, which looks fantastic. Um, and um, yeah, that made me proud. So maybe maybe I'll frame it in a slightly more optimistic tone and say, I think that's <laughs> the second version I'm proud of, uh, uh, very proud of. So um, yeah, could we have cut scope a little bit? Um, Maybe in some areas, but I actually think that we really proved it very fast. And again, maybe actually reflecting your question, I think the context is always different. And the context in our world is you're paying for a physical environment, you're paying for operations, you're paying for supply chain costs, you're paying for food um, that if you don't sell, well, you'll go to waste. And so I think the context of that is quite different from doing a uh, a startup environment where you're getting a new website live that's you know i don't know is, is some level of service and so again context matters i think given that i, I think it was it was broadly right but don't get me wrong there'll be some things that i would change if i did open. <laughs> so that's an interesting one you're talking about uh food which obviously is a sunk cost if you're depending on how you do you're talking about physical infrastructure and you're talking about a hypothesis of a wide range of things delivered quickly that's not something you can do a huge amount of iteration on in the first bit. It's it's either on or it's off. Um, so how do you launch it? Is that something you launch, uh, you, you do it with, say, okay, we're only going to do it to a limited uh, range of area, a certain number of orders per hour? Exactly. Or how do you... Yeah, ex exactly that, Randy. So we did it within a particular radius. We built a, a new ware a warehouse specifically for this. You've got a limited radius. Again, this goes back to... Um, 
why it mattered that this customer experience was great. Because if you've got a limited radius, it's not like you can just start small and then gradually roll out to more and more customers. Because if you burn through that customer base, you can't suddenly go and get more, right? They're in that radius. The households are there. And we had a pretty aggressive target for household penetration. And so that's why it was so important for the long term of the business case to make sure that we were really, really clear up front about why that mattered so much. Uh, I love the attitude that you take towards this because I've seen uh, presentations in the past from Okado people where they they give great lessons, they give a great talk, but at the end, there's always a video of all the failures of the robots. And it's great <laughs> because it's, you're not hiding the fact that there was learning and experimentation along the way. Well, everyone loves to see robot fail videos. Yeah, we've got a, a few of those that have they, they do mostly work, Randy, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not worried. I'm sure they do work no, they just do. fine. <laughs> and you wouldn't be showing us the videos of the failures if you didn't hadn't already solved it. Exactly. <laughs> so what tips would you give to someone who worked in a kind of larger organization and had just been given a project mm. um to say, right, we've got this idea or this concept or we want to solve this problem, we think it's a brand new product, um, it's yours, run with it. Um like what do they need to be mindful of and uh yeah what are your what's your best advice for them my my top tips um my i do think in that scenario the idea of kind of think like you know the the ceo of a product actually it's not a phrase that i often use because and and you've got to think very carefully about it when you use that phrase because actually for many of the product managers at akari you're part of a bigger product there's one bigger product that we that we sell. And so it doesn't always apply. And I think that's the case for many different product managers I speak to. But depending on the scale of what you've been asked to launch, think about it end to end. Think about it as if it's a business and you're running that business. Um, And then I think it's super important if it's very new. I think this is true for startup as well as in a bigger organization to just continually help people understand the mindset shift. What do they know today? And repeat back to them what they think about how their business works today. And then tell them what's different. Why is this different? Help everyone shift into that mindset. And I think that can help an awful lot. And then I'd also say, especially in large organizations, think very carefully about what the team is, how you bring people together. I mean, the model I mentioned before, I guess is pretty akin to a tribe model. So it doesn't have to be that, that hard, that complicated, but just be very intentional about how you set things up. And then I also think you want people who are, you want the right people around you. You want people who are, advocates and people who love what you're doing too to help you bring everyone on that journey help you get everyone there uh and we had certainly had some some awesome people on the team who were not just advocates but um optimists about what we were building and how great it was and that that as ever you know get the right people and you are 80 percent of the way there so i think as ever you know work, work with some great people and uh, you're in a great place Awesome. That sounds like very sound advice to me. Um, Hannah, it's been so great talking to you. And I can't believe that conversation has just flown by so quickly. But thank you so much for joining us and uh, imparting some of your experience and knowledge. Thank you very much for having me. Good to speak. The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg based band POW, that's P A U. 
Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs> 